You're listening to the Over a Drink podcast, the podcast dedicated to normalizing normal men talking about normal things, putting purpose to pain, turning men into soldiers, and weaponizing testimonies. I'm Mitch Parsons, and I am your host. Welcome to episode eight of the Over a Drink podcast. Uh, Today we... The fun thing about this project that I'm doing is that it's very portable. So I have my two boom arms. I have my wireless mics, um, very untraditional setup, but I am meeting with our guest at the Lakewood campus today in the young adults podcasting room. So thank you for allowing me to use your podcasting room, young adults. But uh, we also have a, a guest today. We have two guests. One will be speaking and then uh, the other you might just hear uh, Hoagie, my dog, <laughs> is hanging out with us uh, because it's going to be a late night. Didn't want to leave him at home. But there's a dog outside of this room and sporadically he has barked. And so <laughs> if you hear that, I'm not going to edit it out because mm, that's, life. The, yeah, that's just how it goes. <laughs> and so uh, today um, we are... I have the honor to sit across the table from my friend Steve. Uh, he is awesome. He he cooks uh, food for his job um, as a ministry. Uh, as a but he also he he'll bring food to the volunteers at church, like full on catered meals, uh, and that's super cool. Uh, Selfishly, I love it because I get to – I benefit from it. Um, but uh, I want to, Steve to give himself a chance – or I want to give Steve a chance to introduce himself, tell us a little bit about him. Um, Steve, if you were to introduce yourself to somebody um, and almost like an elevator pitch, this is who I am, uh, how would you do that? Wow. Uh Interesting. Uh, it really, I think it depends a little bit on the environment that I'm in. Yeah. Uh, now, if I'm at church, <laughs> I'm a God-fearing Christian yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with a wife and kids. But, you know, one of the things that I, I do always uh, when I'm introducing myself, I do talk about my family, about my wife and my children and and what I do for a living and how proud I am. And it really was my wife that kind of, you know, is the catapult for this. She she was a nurse in Arizona, uh, was working at the Mayo Clinic and was helping out at a drug and alcohol detox center. And I could see when she came home from the Mayo Clinic, she was exhausted, tired, you know, not excited, but just like yeah. you normally would come home from work. When she came home from the detox center, I could see there was a light in her eye and you could see that there there was a connection there. And, and so the more we discussed it, the more I realized like, wow, that's, I think she mm-hmm. found her calling. Like yeah. she really loved that transformation of somebody that was at their lowest point, kind of getting away from that and getting healthy and, and being able to go out and attack the world again. So uh, we had been discussing it. We were living in Arizona and there was an opportunity for her to come to Denver to open a new facility. And I'm like, do it. And she's like, what are you like? can't quit the Mayo Clinic and, you know, like what, what what's going on? We've got kids. And yeah. I was like, babe, we got it. Just, you know, like just do your thing. I think it's the right place for you. And so she came up here about a year and a half ago to get the facility going. And obviously when COVID hit, uh, we still have a son that's in high school. And when his high school shut down, our initial plan was me and the boys were going to come up. I have five kids, uh, well, more than five kids, but that's a 
we'll get into that <laughs> a little bit later. <laughs> uh, but uh, we initially, our plan was to, uh, two of the older sons that were out of school were living at home and my son that was in high school. Uh, we were going to spend the summer in Arizona, let her get the facility going, and then transition up to to Denver. But when the school shut down in March, uh, we came up right away. So we came up in May uh, and been here about a year and a half. And I was working in finance. I was running a, a company that they were doing some mid level lending, fifty to one hundred thousand, helping people with their credit, teaching them how to use business credit, just. You know, just a, it was basically a call center. We had leads generated. We had guys on the phone and I was managing, training, motivating, doing, doing what I do. That's kind of what I've always done. Um, but I, I was miserable doing it. Um, it just, it, I knew, you know, and I'll get into a little bit what I experienced in my life, 57 years of living. Um, but I knew that I, there was a bigger purpose for me and it wasn't just to sit around and make money. Uh, I had done that before and, uh, you know, it wasn't, wasn't fulfilling. And I've been through, th through some things to make me realize that, um, you know, uh, there's a plan for me and I need to, I need to get on board with it. So my wife and I had invited the director of the facility and his wife out to our house. And I was just, you know, I'm, I made dinner, I made steaks and chicken and just everything yeah. that I like to do. The full spread. Yeah. And, and we were, he's like, well, what the heck, dude, <laughs> is this you, you do all this? I said, yeah, I did it. You know, he's, he's like, man, I wish I, I wish I had a caterer that, could cook at our facility because, you know, these, the detox centers, they're doing breakfast, lunch, dinner, seven days a week. And, you know, caterers in general are trying to figure out how can I charge the most and spend the least, you know, and just yeah. make food to get by without anybody, you know, yelling or complaining. And, uh, that generally doesn't work. And I said, man, I would, I would love to do that for you. He's like, dude, I, I can't, pay you like yeah. you know real money yeah. you know like and I, I said yeah it's okay like look, my wife makes money yeah. <laughs> give her a raise and i'll do it no but uh uh and he's like well look if you're serious about it like do the groundwork you know and so i did got the licensing and did everything that i needed to do and i said dude i'm, I'm gonna do this he's like all right and uh so he Fired his caterer and I quit my job and and uh, I've been doing that for just about a year and I love it. Wow. I'm, I'm blessed to do it. Uh, I know that when people are at their low point, right, they've, they've gone through something or going through something, they've kind of forgot what life's all about or the basic pleasures of life and the, and the basic necessities of life, you know, food, shelter, clothing, loved ones, yeah. you know, and a lot of them don't have those things. And now they're connected to alcohol or drugs or whatever their addiction is. And if you can have them kind of, as they're hitting their low point, coming off of whatever it is that they're coming off of or coming out of a bad situation, and they've got a great meal in front of them and they can reconnect with food and fall in love with that again, just like we did when we were kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and some of us even, you know, still Today. are in love with food. Yeah. Right. Well, th that's one thing I I love that you do because 
that's Jess and part of Jess and I's ministry is around our kitchen table. Yeah. Uh, we prayed for a big table so that we could have people. I love to cook too. Yeah. Uh, I love to cook for people. Uh, and it's fun because to, to see someone appreciate like your food, but also the conversations that come around it. It's like, right. this was worth it. Cause it's, it, there's, I'm sure you, you, cook for, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you cook, you cook for a lot of people yeah. and it's a, it's a, it's an art. Like you got one thing in the oven, you got this timer here. You got to You got to mm-hmm. get this done before you do this. But this, like, it's like, it's fun, yeah. but it's stressful. And, but to see it at the end, to be able to sit and just like laugh with friends and cry with friends over food. Yeah. And I'm sure you, uh, doing what you do for the people that you do, the reward is tenfold. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, to see somebody come in broken and beaten and not looking very well and then leaving the facility healthy and strong and, and ready to take on the challenges. Yeah. Cause there's tons of them. Everything that, you know, you, Everything that we get away from, like anytime we we take a vacation or we go away or something tragic happens, real life is still there when mm-hmm. that moment's over. And so these people that came in, you know, struggling with whatever addiction that they had, all the things that trigger that are still out there in the world. So if mm-hmm. I can be a part, just a, it's a small part, trust me. There, yeah. There's way bigger tools that the facility provides and counselors provide. But if if they could just fall in love with food again, that's one of the things that they can stack in their corner, yeah. you know, and if I can be a part of it, yeah, I'm going to well, be a and, part and of it. And to be a place, I feel like to have a place where you can go and not have to be working, like when you're in rehab, I would have to imagine that you're constantly thinking about recovery and you're constantly taking steps towards that process and to be able to sit and have process without acknowledge right. like it. There is healing and there is stuff happening on around that yeah, table, a lot going on. but it's almost like, it's like watch my hand and like overhear all the healings <laughs> happening. But like, that's like a magician almost yeah. like keeping their attention off in a great way off of the healing, but the healing's still happening. Yeah. It, it uh, you know, to, to, Dive into my story a little bit. I yeah. was I was incarcerated for two years, and um, that was it was an amazing time. <laughs> you don't and, hear that often. Yeah. Well, you know what? It was. And my wife likes to say it's easy to find God when you're in prison. But but you know, I was talking to a a friend of mine who'd been through some things, and I was telling him it's actually harder uh, because it's not the accepted behavior in prison. You're actually looked down upon uh, by the majority of the people that are there. There's not a ton of guys getting converted in prison like people think. Really? Um, it's it's the opposite. If anything, there's people that are angry and bitter and and kind of grab onto that. Yeah, you know, grab onto that story. Um, and look, I had no intention of of finding God or God finding me or however it works. That was not my plan. My plan was to take two years off and get in shape and lose some weight and take a vacation. Uh, So I was, that part I was kind of looking forward to. Um, But what happened was the total opposite of that. Uh, You know, having a large family, there's a lot of moving parts. 
And although you think in your delusional thought process that everything's fine and you've done the right preparation and everybody's ready and we're just going to get through this and be done with it, like my wife would say, I'm just going to look at it like you're on a military mission for two years. Yeah. But it's nothing like that. I wasn't serving my country. I was costing my country money yeah. by them paying for me to live there. <laughs> uh, it was the total opposite. And, uh, you know, my, it, it fell apart all of it, uh, in, in every way. And it was the most crushing thing to witness from afar <laughs> and not be able to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, what I thought was going to be fun, I was going to play basketball, work out, hang out with the guys, play some cards, watch TV. And look, I did a lot of those things, but they weren't, uh, they, they didn't give me the enjoyment that I thought they were going to. Um, if anything, it made me miss doing those things in the real world even more. So every day was the longest day of my life and it was grueling and it was agonizing and, and, you know, uh, it was confrontational. It was, it was, there's a lot going on there (laughs) and, and to be doing things my way for 53 years and then to realize that, that, that all has to change. Uh, it was tough. Um, and when I started to realize that those things were happening, right, that my kids were struggling, my wife was struggling, um, it was it was painful, right? But And then to realize that, okay, I don't have the answers. I thought I did. I've been in control of my business career, my financial career, my health, my marriage, my family. I had never given any of those things up to God. Yeah, I had done it all myself and I thought everything was fine. Uh, and then to realize it wasn't, uh, that was, that was the toughest part of the process because I knew at that point I was hitting my, my lowest of low points and it happened pretty early in my stay. So I started struggling. I I went in in like May and by the summer I was like, uh oh, <laughs> this isn't this isn't gonna this isn't gonna be good. This isn't gonna, go this well. isn't gonna be what I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> and so um you know my 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 poor wife, you know, she's an amazing woman. Um but you know her mom got sick and died while I was in prison. Mm-hmm. So her partner and best friend is gone <laughs> and she's going through that experience by herself watching her mom who was living with us deteriorate and die you know and i had a son who was a fantastic athlete who dropped out of high school <laughs> and like he comes to visit me and says hey dad I, i'm gonna quit school i'm like okay like what am i supposed to say to you i can't knock you in the head like I want to, because then they're going to put me in the hole. <laughs> but, you know, I just, you're making a man's decision. I had another son who was in a bad car accident and he almost died and almost killed some people and, and was facing a ton of legal issues. And my little guy was flunking middle school and my daughter quit her job and left the country for five months. So everything was just like a disaster. And I was alone and they were dealing with their stuff. Right. Yeah. And on the assumption that, well, dad's fine. Dad's always been fine. Yeah. Dad acts like he's fine all the time. Like, yeah. But I wasn't fine. And uh, so I I said to myself, okay, I'm going to do this. 
I don't know what this is that I'm getting ready to do, but I'm going to do it. And what I'm going to do was I'm going to allow myself to be miserable for the next six months. I'm going to, I'm just going to take it all in. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to take ownership. And then I'm going to take the next six months and I'm going to rebuild my life. And then I'm going to take that next six months and I'm going to prepare for my future when I get out of this place. So that's what I knew I was going to do because I've been self-employed for 30 plus years from nightclub business to mortgage business to student loan consolidation to, to a bunch of different things that I've had a lot of worldly financial success through those processes. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's been disasters at the end of some of them because – one, I went to prison. <laughs> Two, I had to start another business, you yeah. know. Uh, but again, I think that was me not being in my right state of mind, even during those successful times, because I look at the people that I allowed in my life to be my business partner or – and I, like, how, you know, you want to get mad and lash out because maybe they took advantage of you. But what was I thinking? Like, who was I to be with that person? Yeah. So, you know um, – some of the scripture I was reading today, and I, I'm not really good at quoting scripture, Please, I'm, Mitch. I'm by far the worst person <laughs> at quoting scripture, so we can have a contest at who can do it Yeah, worse. I think I was reading this one scripture. I was like, I need to memorize that, <laughs> but I'm not going to. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, and, and it was, well, what it was basically the gist of it was who you are and who you want to be is who you're going to be around. You know, and if I'm selfish and greedy and only want financial success and I want power and control, I'm going to surround myself with people that are going to enable me to do those things. Yeah. But if I want to be giving and caring and loving and I want to do well for others, then I'm going to be sitting in a chair across somebody like you. Hmm. Okay. Because I, I, I could have never done this. You wouldn't even want to be around me. Oh, you might have been like, Oh, that that dude's cool. Because <laughs> I listen to the cool music, and I can still kind of dance a little bit. I can do all this. Time. I'm still can play sports, and but I was I was a disaster always. And I just it was like every day I woke up trying to overcome who I was. And and you being an athlete, I'm sure you got sick to your stomach uh, before you played a game. I used to live that way, and I thought that was normal. I thought that you always felt sick to your stomach. That's how you're supposed to feel because I felt that way as a kid. I felt that way when I was definitely in the nightclub business. I'm walking into a nightclub as a 20-year-old. I own the coolest club in town. Everybody's looking at me. And then I definitely felt that way when I was making millions of dollars in the in, in business. Yeah. There's just this nervousness that I thought if I overcome it, it's going to allow me to perform and execute at this really high level which I was performing and executing at a really high level, but I thought that sick feeling in the stomach was what I needed to be able to do that. Mm. So when I started getting that feeling in prison, I was like, oh, this is, this is normal. Mm. This is natural. This is okay. I am time to go to work. Yeah. So I, I started that process. Right. And uh, so it really, it, it, I, there was, so <laughs> prison's very interesting. It's like a subculture. It's like a, it's like, 
America exposed is okay. prison. They okay. they segregate you by races and they don't – you know, there's all kind of weird things that they do because there's only a couple of them and there's a lot of us. Yeah. And a lot of us could take over if we wanted to. Yeah. But they got to figure out how to keep us all in line. So there's a way to do that. It's, it's kind of like what they do in society as well, hmm. which – that's coming from somebody that worked their mouth. <laughs> you know, not that you want to get too political and societal yeah. and all that stuff. But um, so you're you're a commodity when you get in there. Mm. The whites, the white people want you in their group, right? Yeah. Well, I don't do that. I'm, I mean, I'm a – my best friends were of all different races and backgrounds and things like that yeah. in the real world. And I certainly wasn't going to change that character trait because I knew that was a good character. You can just be normal. Yeah. You know, you judge people just on their actions and you like hanging out with them. Do they have common interests? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I, I love the NBA and I, I love football and I love music and the dance. And I just love having fun with people. And a lot of the white people in prison just yeah. aren't that way. You know, like they're just very – it's just bizarre. It's like the worst of the each race is what you'll see in, in yeah. a lot of those times. In yeah. a lot of those instances, they're ones that are in control. So um, I had problems right out of the gate because uh, I I was making friends with and and they call them black guys or yeah. Mexican guys. Like it was yeah. just weird how everybody has got a label there. Yeah, or Islanders, which are people that aren't one of those other ones. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I mean, I I was. You know, I, I went through some things, you know, when you buck the system, the system has a way of, of punching back, but I stood my ground and I earned levels of respect because of that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that put me in position to have whatever kind of job I wanted inside the facility. And the number one job was running the food warehouse because there were multiple prisons in where I was at mm -hmm. and we were supplying the food for everything. But along with that comes a responsibility to run this food smuggling ring <laughs> that goes into the, like there's a little subculture inside of there, which I really want to know part of, yeah. you know, and eventually got out of that position and got into the education part, uh, but through that process. But, the main thing that occurred was um, I was I was really struggling. I was I was uh, I felt disconnected from my wife. I I felt you know I was talking to everybody regularly, but it just you know nobody could really truly share what they were going through and what they were feeling. And they would come to visit, and you know the visitations were difficult. You know because you know you're I'm wearing a prison uniform yeah. <laughs> and I'm hanging out with my kids and can't really be hugging them and leaning on them. And we're a, you know, hug on and lean on kind of family, yeah. you know? Uh, and, and so, you know, it was, it was, it was a struggle. So I, I, I did a lot of exercising I was on the track and I, and I had, you know, one of the other things too, is I only had a handful of people that even reached out to me when I was in prison, really? which is crazy. Cause I know thousands of people, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I've, I've, you know, I just, I've coached kids and mentored families and mentored young people. And, yeah. you know, I've, I was, you know, try to do my best in the world, uh, and know a lot of people, but I had two of my buddies, uh, Jay and Tom, they were the only two that come and visit me. And, uh, I had a couple people, write. So one of my old employees wrote, wrote me on a regular basis, uh, my aunt in Florida. And then, uh, this lady from the church in Arizona, she had, she had written me hmm. and she had sent me, uh, the purpose driven, 
Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And I had, hadn't read that book and hadn't really read the Bible, hadn't really read anything. And I remember she sent it to me pretty early in my stay. And I, I remember opening it and I started reading day one <laughs> of the 40-day journey or 43-day. I think they added yeah. days and yeah. the later versions. But I was like, oh, this isn't happening. This isn't happening right now. So I shut the book, right? So um, I, I was in this thing called the fishbowl, which where they had 10 bunk beds in a room, not much bigger than you could fit, barely fit 10 bunk beds in it, basically. Yeah. And I grabbed a, a Bible and I opened it up, page one, Genesis, chapter one, verse one. <laughs> I started reading and I was like, this isn't happening. There's no way. I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, can't do this. I'm not ready for this. So I just was living inside of there and just trying to do what I normally do, which is fix things. And I, and I couldn't. And so I, you know, like I said, every day was the longest day of my life and I was just struggling and I was walking on the track. And so I remember one day I was on the track and I look up and I'm like, what's up? <laughs> okay, God, <laughs> I'm yours. Like, I, I can't, I can't do this. Like I have got to make a change. I, there, I can't keep feeling this way. Uh, and I'm losing my family. I'm, I'm losing my mind. Uh, I, I need help. And, you know, there's probably a hole in that track. <laughs> the ozone's probably broken down from as many times as I've asked God. But I literally said, look, I, I grew up Catholic, went to a Catholic school, was an altar boy, felt the honor of reading scripture in mass because that's the only time you really read the Bible when you're Catholic mm -hmm. is at mass. <laughs> you know, they kind of take the stories and put them in a book and then go here, you know. And uh, my wife and I had, when we were dating before we got married, we she grew up Catholic, I grew up Catholic. And we I was living in Oklahoma, she was living in Arizona, and I moved to Arizona and I was getting custody of two of my kids and she had a kid and we were together and I'm like, we need to go to church. And of course, the Catholic Church had said they had changed, you know, like, yeah, yeah we, we accept you, but we knew they didn't. And we could feel it when we were dropping kids off and two of them had different last names and they're looking at us. And, you know, so we just didn't feel comfortable. And we found a Christian church there and we went and we loved it. And her and I got baptized together. But she got baptized. I took a bath, <laughs> you know, like I yeah. was just like, yeah, I'll do it with you. You yeah. know, I'm in, yeah. and, you know, we did things, but I, I wasn't all the way in, mm -hmm. you know, there's a difference. You, yeah. You've got your surface area. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm, I'm a businessman. Yeah. I'm donating yeah. to the church. I'm, you know, doing those things, yeah. but I'm not, I don't have a relationship. I'm not reading scripture. I'm not talking to God like he's my father. He's my friend. I'm not asking, you know, hey, don't change all these situations in my life, but make me the way I feel about them change. Help mm -hmm. me grow and learn and how to be a better person and accept things. I wasn't doing any of that. Mm -hmm. So uh, we had moved back to San Diego, which is where we raised our family in 02. And then when we went to find a church, we just never found one. And so we didn't, it was it. Now my kids for a period of time went to a Christian school and things like that. We, we've always kind of fed them, Hey, here's something. Do you like it? You want to do it? You know, yeah. but we didn't force it on them. We wanted them to experience everything that there was in the world. And, and Christianity was one of those things we wanted them to experience and then let them make their choice on their own. Uh, but we weren't 
we weren't all the way in. So as I'm doing this, I said, look, God, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Um, I don't know what the right way is. Okay. I know what I did as a child. I understand that, yeah, you know, Jesus is your son and him and the Holy Spirit are part of the Trinity. And I do the sign of the cross and I know the Lord's Prayer by heart and all the other things that church provides you. But I really don't know, is that the pathway or what's out there? There, There's some Muslim brothers over here that I like that are good dudes that are family guys. Maybe that's the way. And then my best friend grew up. Uh, and, and the guy was my bunkie. Uh, he he was a Jehovah Witness, and he seemed very content and happy, and had felt like he had a great relationship with God. Another friend of mine was Pentecostal, and his dad was a preacher, and he seemed pretty good. And then the Mormons, because they're Mormons, man, they come at you hard when you get to prison. <laughs> that, that was the first time I heard the word. I I didn't. The guy was like, "Hey, well, my first day. Hey, you LDS." I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't know. What is that? Learning disability? Yeah, I think I probably have one. You know, I had no idea what he was talking about at first. Yeah. And like, it was a full on recruitment. Everybody's hitting me. And I'm like, so this, you know, two, three months having been in there and then realizing that I'm, I want to have a relationship with the creator of this universe hmm. because what I'm doing isn't working. I said, God, just, just, sh- I'm open. Show me. Hmm. I'm going to go to the Muslim service. I'm going to read the Quran. I'm going to go to the Mormon service. I'm going to read the Book of Mormon. I'm going to go to the Jehovah Witness service. And I'm going to read the Bible, but only certain parts that apply to that religion. And and I was hanging. There was two Jews in the whole prison, and I was going to the Jewish service on Friday because at least I, you know, I know the Old Testament. First yeah. five, the Torah in and out. And I said, but 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 I because I said, look, I'm open. Like I'm not going to let anything or anyone influence how I should connect with you. Hmm. I want you to influence me and point me in the right direction. Hmm. So I would go to Bible study and, and after Bible study, I would sit and I was reading the book of Mormon, you know, and I would be reading the book of Mormon and the guy that I went to Bible study, cause there's some hardcore dudes in there. Yeah. They don't, it doesn't matter that they went to Bible study. They're still a hardcore dude. They're cussing me out in my, <laughs> what the F are you doing <laughs> reading that? I'm yeah. like, Dude, relax. I just left your Bible study, but I told myself I'm going to explore everything. Like, you know, there are clearly things inside of the Bible that say there are going to be future future things that are going to be exposed to us, you know. And it, the Mormons believe that their book is that future uh, writing from God, mm-hmm. inspired by God. It's okay if I look at that and make my own decision or am inspired by God to to know or think that that's correct. Because, you know, I'm the only white dude at the Muslim meeting and I'm Mm -hmm. talking and I'm meeting with them. And then I'm when they're explaining to me in detail what their heaven is like, I'm like, dude, you don't really believe that, do you? (laughs) That's that's you. There is no way that God is going to give us the information of what heaven's like. And if he does give us the information of what heaven's truly like, it's 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 not going to be what you know. I don't I don't want to get too far into what they believe, yeah. but some of those things are are just ridiculous, you know. Yeah. But and, but what you're saying though is uh, is is good because I think I would believe that there are I know that there are people out there who they it, there are I mean in the Bible it's like there are times when people are like God if you're real. 
Like the the uh, what's it? See, this is me being able to quote scripture. Um, <laughs> the cloth where you put it out and uh, where he, who I don't even know who. <laughs> I should know this. I, I'm married to a pastor. Good Lord. Um, but the, the cloth that you put out in, in is if it's wet, then like, yeah. like he like con- the guy continually tried um, right. God. And like, I think that there are, there's a lot of stories of theologians and I mean, shoot, I think I'm pretty sure C.S. Lewis was an atheist oh, yeah. and he, yes, he became he a Christian by trying to disprove exactly. the Bible. And like for you to go, I mean, there are lots of people who are curious. Like for me, like I don't know a whole lot about other religions. I'm very interested and I'm curious in it, mm-hmm. um, but I don't just I don't know a lot about it. But for you to be able to go and instead of I think a lot of people are spoon fed faith by yeah. the people in their life and their parents, the, the the society they live in, and they believe what they believe because the people around them believe that. But you were put in such a cool environment that. You had a little bit of everything. Yeah. And so you were able to honestly say, hey, God, like you illuminate what is truth because I'm taking it all. In. Yeah. And 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 the one thing I, I have always cared with me, I've never really cared what anybody thought. You know, I mean, you want to be liked and you want to be loved, but I'm going to do what I want to do. And you can get mad at me if you want, but I'm going to do it anyhow. Yeah. <laughs> Probably the reason I went to prison. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, and and so that journey there was so much fun. It was one of the funnest times I had because, like, the two dudes that were Jewish, the older guys, like, one of them I had kind of had to help when he got there because he was not doing well. He was older and he had a family and he was struggling. He was crying a lot. So I had gotten kind of close with him and kind of took him under my wing. And when new guys came in, I used to show them around and I had a locker where I gave them stuff. And that was another thing. The prison, I always gave stuff to people (laughs) and everybody was like, you're screwing up the whole, you know, marketplace. I'm like, (laughs) I know, but dude, come on. Like, what are we doing? This guy's suffering. Yeah. I can give him a candy bar. <laughs> you know, it's not, you know, which giving somebody a candy bar is code for something really bad in prison. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. And then when somebody told me, I was like, all right, I'll stop giving candy bars. It's <laughs> 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 probably not a good idea. That's, that's funny. But, uh, you know, my my time through that process, you know, there, when I remember I was in it, this is when clarity started to come. So the actual first service I went to, it was on a a Sunday. Uh, I did my workout. I went into, we had a couple buildings and went into the education building and, uh, the Mormons were having their, their first service, their service. And that was the first one I'd gone to. So I opened the door and I mean, their eyes just lit up. I'm like, Hey, can I, can I come in? They're like, of course, come on in brother. And it was amazing. The brotherhood and the love they had for each other in there. And what we were talking about was on point. I was like, Oh wow, this is really good. I was, I was hooked. Like not hooked on that, but I was hooked on God again. I was like, Oh, this this feels so good, yeah. and uh, I after the service I said because they did say a couple of things I did not agree with inside the service, and but I didn't you know it wasn't confrontational on there. But afterwards I, said, I need some clarity on a couple of things. I'm like okay, you know don't. I said I'm gonna need to read that book, <laughs> so I started reading that book, and um, that that was. I, I probably went to 15 Mormon services, which that's 15 weeks. That's a long, that's, that's a lot a of going time. to yeah. while I, even after I committed to following 
Christianity. I, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but you know, really just Bible-based faith, read the Word of God, let it inspire you, talk to people who, who know more about the Bible than you. I had study Bibles. I took notes every morning. I have probably I have thousands of paper towels, like the size of you know, normal paper towel, yeah. where I have written Bible scriptures on them. Cool. And they're sitting in a box in my house. I, I need to pull those out. I was going yeah, to make cool. something with it, but if you wet them, it ruins everything. So I was like, <laughs> "What am I supposed? To, I don't know what to do with this." But uh, you know, I I was I was I was doing it, and even like at the end when it was time for me to leave, I I went to the you know and said goodbye to the brothers and thanked them for getting me on my my helping me get with my pathway. I just when I when I what my my viewpoint of this, and I, and I have some friends that are Mormon that I actually reached out to after I got out and said, hey, I got some questions for you. And they're not really full on in believing. I said, this is my perception of it. Seems like Joseph may have had a, an encounter with God. Might, he might have been inspired. But it seemed like at the end of his writings, he got a little derailed. He's like, exactly. That's exactly what it was. It got away from the word of God and more into doctrine and legalism and do this and do that. And you got to do, you know, and that's where you lose me. You know, when you start a, a, a man is going to tell, you know, tell me his viewpoint on something and then try to direct me on how I'm supposed to live my life. Kind of like what the, one of the major issues with the Catholic church is, you know, on, on, well, this is a sin. And because you did this sin, you need to say this prayer to absolve this sin. Mm -hmm. And if you die with this sin on your conscience, you're going to hell or you're going to purgatory or whatever. Yeah. Like, dude, how do you know that? Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, where's that written at? Yeah. You know? And it's, it's, it's super encouraging to me that a common theme, if you've listened to episodes one through seven or um, that a you're not alone in church baggage. Like, like there are like, yeah. and I'm not saying you necessarily have baggage, but you are, you are, you are, there are, there are a lot of people who have experiences with the Mormon church or the Catholic church. And um, they're resonating with what you're feeling or what you're right. sharing. Um, and it's cool to me that God, I mean, he, he will get you <laughs> um, not for lack of a better term. Like, in in ways that you would never imagine like for right. you he, like he he doesn't have to have you standing in a non-denominational christian church um wearing your jeans and a button up to <laughs> to experience him like right. you you could literally because and maybe I'm theologically wrong so if I am correct me um but like mormons worship the same god that you and I worship and Catholics worship the same God that um, you do. that you and I worship, and so um, His presence is in those buildings. It's in those temples. It's in those Catholic churches. Mm -hmm. um, all, all the Catholic Church really has to do is just say, "You got to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and understand what He did on this earth and why He did it." And you got to proclaim that. We don't do that in the Catholic Church. And in the Mormon Church, we they do that. But if you don't get baptized with the laying hands on and filled with the Holy Spirit, part of this ritualistic process, it's not complete. Yeah. And if you don't get married and have your marriage sealed in the temple, it, it's the only way to get to the celestial kingdom. You can get to the celestial or terrestrial, but not the celestial unless you do yeah. all these things. And that – 
if 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 God has said clearly in the Bible, like there's just things you guys aren't going to know, like you just aren't going to know it till you die, then don't as mankind don't create them. Don't fill in the blanks. Don't create them. We're creating yeah. them. There's no reason to. Yeah. I don't need 76 versions when I die. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things the Muslims believe. I don't yeah. know if it's 76, but some weird number like that. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, you're one of the smartest guys I know. Like, how ridiculous does that sound? Or if you're a Jehovah Witness. Okay, one thing my wife and I, we, we used to take tests on what religion we're supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know? And it would always be Jehovah Witness, Mormon, or Buddhist. Because Buddhist, because we just didn't care. Live and let live. Yeah. But uh, – Jehovah Witness, because we don't like celebrating holidays and birthdays, and and Mormon, because we have a big family and we're family-oriented. It was like, always come back the same ones. But like, when I went to the Jehovah Witness uh, service, there was a a minister there and another guy and me. And he was talking about something, and I had a question. I said, wait, I don't understand. Well, why... If it was big, it was a big thing that they believe in. I don't remember what it was. And I questioned him. Instead of explaining to me, he got mad. And I was like, okay. So I pulled back. I offended him. I didn't mean to offend him. I I don't know what you're talking about. So when I realized he got mad and then I could tell that he was talking down to me at that point, which, you know, come on, what are you doing, dude? You know, and you're an older guy and I get it. Like, but I'm, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying what you're saying. Like you, I'm asking for explanation, make it clear to me to where it feels inside of me. Like what you're saying is correct. Mm. Then I really got him. I, I, I shouldn't have done this, but I raised my hand again. I said, do you think that maybe the reason that you guys don't believe in blood transfusions is because your religion was created in the 1800s. And in the 1800s, if you got a blood transfusion, you're probably going to (laughs) die. You know, like that was an experiment. We're just trying to figure things out. And that was when he just kicked you out. He he didn't kick me out. But then I talked to my buddy. O, and he's just like, dude, don't go anymore. Like if you got questions, we'll go, we'll go walk. We'll go, you know, you can ask me, but the guy, you know, and and that's, what I man, I I think that it's something that like if you can you can question your faith and like like I would encourage you to like like what you're talking about if you have questions like dig in and ask those hard questions yeah. because like the Lord will answer them uh, and He'll like. Uh, man, I think that there are some of the most uh, I don't like the word like deconstructing, but mm-hmm. like. My aunt challenged me on this thing of like, like, always be curious. Like, right. until if you're not if you're no longer curious, then like you're no longer growing. And like, that doesn't that doesn't exclude faith. That is in like especially faith. Absolutely. Like, like God is this infinite thing that like this infinite being that we like. You're like you keep saying like there are things that we will never know, but that doesn't mean that we can't keep asking him Absolutely. to show us and like um and and he will use all these different religions and different like if if I were to take a test uh of what religion I would be it would whatever's the most legalistic one <laughs> that is I am so much like I have to consistently combat like god I didn't get up and pray this morning or I didn't I didn't get up and spend time in the word this morning like love me still like that's like a, a real and that's so far from grace but like that even brings up this – that's a whole other thing about yeah. – um, because 
I think there's a, we walk a fine line between discipline and uh, yeah. and religion, oh, or, yeah. or discipline and yeah. legalism. Right. Um, with it, like we say, oh, legalism is religion. Like I want a relationship, not a religion. Um, but also that that's true, kind of to me, because I also there are dis, there are spiritual disciplines that are necessary, like fasting and praying and. Yes. So how do I how do I walk that line and like who who is in these different religions who has it figured out right. who's to say like so we took my mom when we when I got out and I was living in Arizona and this was just recently I've only been out uh, just over two years but uh, we took my mom to a friend of mine connected with a friend who was starting a church plant yeah. so we were we were going and we brought my mom and. It was non-denominational, and he's an. The, the, Brad's an amazing speaker, and and just just gets you filled, you know. Yeah. And my mom lost her mind because there was none of that, you know, routine that the Catholic Church puts you through. She needed that, and 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 there's nothing wrong with that. Like if you think about how busy the world is, right? Yeah. Some of that's okay. Like even when I go to Red Rocks, I need them to sing those two songs before I can calm myself. Matter of fact, I get there 30 minutes early and I sit by myself for a bit to try to clear my head to go, come on, man. <laughs> come on, God. Okay. You know, like I got to wash this stuff out, you know, and, and it's, and it happens almost every single day. I start the day. Fantastic. I wake yeah. up. Very first thing I do is I get in the Word of God. Then second thing is I listen to Christian music. Third thing I go to the gym. Like I'm on fire, dude. <laughs> you got the endorphins. Mind, my, you got I the got Holy Spirit. <laughs> and then I get in the car after I've done a little work, and then I threaten to kill somebody on the way down to the <laughs> detox center. Like I'm gonna freaking kill you. You know, I'm like Je what Jess I and I have started doing this thing because we both. Um, would be victims or culprits is probably a better word of road rage. Right. Like I, it takes very, it takes a lot, a lot, a lot to make me angry in the regular world. Yeah. I get behind a steering wheel and if you don't use your blinker, Oh Lord. And so we don't, we don't, we do this thumbs up thing where we're like, we'll thumbs up people oh, yeah. instead of using other fingers. But it feels so much like, if well, wait, I let me ask you this, man. Is this, your wife drives in the car with you? Yeah, my wife does not drive in the car with me. <laughs> I we, won't. I won't drive. I won't let my wife drive because I I value yeah. my life. Uh, I love you, Jay. If you hear this, yes. but uh, she won't get in the car with you. Your wife won't get in the car with you. We we've taken a separate. We've never driven to this church together. Really, we drive separately. She, I, because well, I mean, part of it's work related because I'm scrambling around to get some food done to get it down there, and then I want to get there to save the seeds, and she's yeah. got to get there and, and get people together to go there. We take separate cars everywhere. Oh, I don't. And, Jess and I have two cars. We could have one because yeah. I work. I work from home and work wherever I have my laptop, and so there's a lot of times when she goes into work and she'll be like, "You want to come?" And I'm like. Yeah, sure. Uh, but we, I, I would like sometimes because car, <laughs> car rides, car ride, I'm introverted and cars times is like, is the best time. Absolutely. Like, totally and I don't even listen to music. I just get in the car and I'm just like silence. silence yeah. Like, holy cow. So, and I've, I've heard now that we're introducing a baby into our life that like car rides are sacred when you're not with your, 
your kids. Because, oh, like, yeah. That and like uh, Josh Kingry, who is the campus pastor here, he goes, when I go for runs, I don't even listen to music. I just <laughs> I just run because I don't want noise. I want no noise. I just, he's processing the voices in his head and yeah. then he's becoming calm. Yeah, like, he's like, he goes, before I go back into a house full of toddlers, I need just no, si- no right. noise. Oh, yeah. He's got young kids. So yeah. that's a different world. Like when I met Tiff, I had a seven and three-year-old. She had a six. So she became instant mom to three, and then we had a baby right away. So four, and then the fifth. And so we had five. And so Tiff, like, is this 20-something beautiful young girl <laughs> with five kids, you know? And it was so funny because we would— Y'all are you know, walking we, through the mall. and well, Yeah. When you're the young parents and you go to school, it's like you're the cool parent at school, right? Yeah. And I remember the, our first—when when Mackenzie went to high school— you know, she's she's 30 now. So Tiff Tiff was still mid-early 30s. Yeah. And I was mid-early 40s, but Tiff looked like a young, beautiful girl. Yeah. And we're in high school, and we're like the young couple. And I remember her and I looking at the old parents that were there that looked like grandparents that had kids. Yeah. And we kind of laugh and make fun and be like, oh, look at them. And so now— when it's back to school night for Bryce, because I'm 57, yeah. I won't even go. I'm like, I'm not going to that. I'm not going to be the, I'm not I'm not the, going to be the grandpa <laughs> where they're trying to figure out, is that the grandpa or the dad? You so, know, I don't want to be that guy. So my, <laughs> Jess, Je, we, we, we're going to see how – she wants lots of babies. I want – as. I like babies. I, I like kids, <laughs> but I don't. She wants like, like an entire village. She wants yeah. like twelve, and I'm like, ah, not if we live in Denver. But she, the other day, she was like, um, "Babe, what if like when our daughter, who's going to be born in a month, yeah. um, when she graduates high school, like, would you think about like adopting a baby?" And I looked at it, and I was like, <laughs> "In what world?" <laughs> I'm like, That's "We will me. be. I, we will be." We will be what I'm 26 now. Add 18 brings me to 54. No, yeah. 44. I'll yeah. be 44. I don't want a baby at 44 because <laughs> then that's another 18 <laughs> years on top of that. Talk about being the, the grandpa. You, I would literally be yeah. a grandpa. We had Bryce. I was 40, and I tried to talk Tiff into one more, and she's like, <sighs> "You've lost your mind." I'm like I'm not doing it. But you know what's funny is like it seems. Now, I don't know if it was because when you have a b- blended family, it is easier because you can say to kid, a kid you don't know, don't touch my kid. Yeah. <laughs> and Stiff can say it to mine and say, don't touch my kid. And we, yeah. you know, so there wasn't that weird, like, you know, craziness. It was pretty calm in our house until we had Bryce and Bryce was constantly videoing and making movies. And, you <laughs> know, doing- how was that though? How was um, being a blended family? And uh, you said you had a six year old. No, she had a six-year-old. So she had a six-year-old son and, and you and had a when seven. I met her. And I had a seven-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son. And, and so they, they've they introducing a new authority figure, like how parenting with that. How was that? Um, it, it was great. I mean, DJ, when I met DJ, uh, we, I was living in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And so, and I was going through a really bad divorce. My ex was addicted to drugs and was doing like some really bad things to me and the Mm -hmm. family, uh, criminal type things and, um, trying to get me thrown in jail as well. Uh, and it was just really bad. So, uh, when I, I, Tiff and and DJ came out to, to visit and we were going to go camping, which 
I'm not. I'm not a camper. <laughs> no. Okay, I don't camp. You're. Camp. You're. A, I'll show up to the campsite, and as long as there's a Holiday Inn within driving distance, yeah. I'll see I'm y'all in the hotel, morning. Hotel, pool, music. <laughs> that's me. Yeah. Okay. And Tiff. So, but we don't know each other, and we're getting to know each other, and we're thinking this is going to be the greatest weekend of our lives. We're going to go camping in rural Oklahoma, and then we're going to go down to Arlington and go to Six Flags, and it's going to be great. What part of Oklahoma were you in? Tulsa. You were in Tulsa. Yeah. Right. Spent twenty years there. I moved there when I was 15, so Tulsa was an interesting time. So I actually enjoyed it, but I probably enjoyed it too much yeah. and did things I shouldn't have done, obviously. Uh, but uh, so we go down, and we're in camping, and it's like 30 degrees at night, and it's raining, and I'm too stupid to know that there's a car with a heater <laughs> right there, and we are – the three of us, the three kids, and Tiff and I are in you know the sleeping bags, and we're and we're we're miserable, Just all piled on and, top yeah, of each other. Yeah, it was funny, and it was miserable, and we both looked at each other like we're never doing this again, right? <laughs> She's like, no, I don't want to do this either. Like, we've I don't think we've ever gone camping since then. We no. maybe one time, I don't even remember, <laughs> and, and we ended up having fun. But the the DJ was just DJ is well, DJ is a stand up comedian right now. He's not uh, a DJ. He's not a DJ. He was a rapper. Okay. He's in movies. And he is, you know, I call it the 80-20 rule. If you got five kids, I spent 80, 20, 80% of my time raising 20% of my kids. <laughs> DJ was just constant. It's, yeah. It was just, you know, because I my kids were probably more scared of me than he was, you know. And, and uh, but DJ was just, he just was that never ending energy. I got to be doing something, you know, just couldn't concentrate niche. He had issues with school and, and, and he was a fantastic best athlete in the family. I mean, he ran a four, four forty. I mean, just kid could fly. And, uh, but we just constantly were battling and, but we loved each other and it was, you know, it was all good. Um, but anyhow, so my first encounter with DJ is we're in the hotel room. Uh, we finally get to the hotel and we're getting ready to go to Six Flags or whatever. And I go in to get my shoes and all the shoelaces were cut. And I'm like, Tiff, I think your son like cut all my shoelaces. And she's like, why would he do that? You know, she's like, what? He didn't yeah. do that. I'm like, I know he uh, he did it because Mackenzie is a, is a girl and she's not going to do that. Yeah. And Chance is like. So quiet and slow. (laughs) He definitely, he would, he knows not even to touch scissors, you know. And we asked DJ, and of course he's like, I didn't do it, you know. So that was my first encounter. I should have known then that it would be a lot of that type of thing. From then on, you had Velcro shoes. But he's my, like, what what I love about him is that, like, when we talk, it's just, it's, it's amazing. Like, it's so, uh, fun and entertaining and now and now we we went out to see him do a stand-up comedy show and he killed it and he's got so much material because his his dad's hispanic and tiff's italian and scandinavian so he's really italian his last name's palisodi okay and but he looks mexican more than anything because of his dad you know but so he like 
and my kids are white bread, you know, yeah. they're, they're white <laughs> and white, white. And he's, so there was always these little jokes and things that would be done. And yeah. so he's got tons of material. Like <laughs> there's just, and there's so many crazy things he's done o- over the years. So when we connect, it's, it's amazing, you know, and, and, you know, how old is he now? He's 20. So ch- Mackenzie's 30, so he will be 29, I think. He's okay. 28, yeah. Right okay. And was, was DJ the son that dropped out of high school, that came and spoke to you and told you that he was going to drop out of high school? No. DJ did drop out of high school. Okay. Uh, but that was uh, – well, it, his junior year, he he had – you know, he was, he was wearing us out. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tiff was even like – She's pretty patient, but she was like, dude, this kid. So he – one morning I, I got up. I'm like, dude, did you make – you make your lunch? Yeah. I go, what would you make? And he didn't make anything. And I'm like, dude, come in here and make something to eat. So, you, you know, you got football practice or whatever was going on. Yeah. And he got super mad, right? And so he calls up mom and I'm done. You know what? I think next year, my senior year, I'm going to go stay. Now his dad was not involved in his life, but his dad lived with his grandparents and his grandparents were involved in his life. Yeah. So he's like, I'm going to go live with grandpa and I'm, you know, my and Tiff's like, pack your bags right now. If you want to go, you can go now. I'll call your grandpa. And so all of a sudden <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. I don't want him to leave, you know, like, yeah. cause I had to take him to the airport and he's like, I bet you're glad I'm gone. I'm like, no dude, I've spent all my time raising you. And now you're going like, what yeah. am I going to do? You know? Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, he went, he went to Arizona and he was playing football and he just, he's never been good at school. He's always been struggling. So he, he never graduated, but he started working right away. And the one thing good about his dad is his dad got him working. And so he's always provided for himself. And, you know, we always, we help out or whatever, you know, like parents are always, we want to help, you know? And, uh, but like, he's the least kid that I worry about right now, which is crazy because I was always worried about him, but he's got a great job. He's got a great girlfriend and he's, he's got these really cool things that he does that aren't drug and alcohol related, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, cause yeah. kids always kind of go through this weird period where they're experimenting with things and stuff like that. So like, he's, he's like my most stable kid right now, which he was like my most unstable one. So it's, it's cool. He lives in Arizona and we just, you know, when we were down there, we, the two uh chance and brandon and i went and saw a show and we had a blast and That's hung so out fun. with them and it was cool it, it's just you know i it's funny like i've always had a good relationship with my kids and um because like why wouldn't you you know yeah. but a lot of a lot of dads don't and a lot of moms don't there's a, there's a real disconnect there because especially if you live in an affluent community because it it goes from parenting to a competition hmm. i need my kid to be the best athlete i need him to be the best in school and you know as soon as somebody else's little johnny makes a mistake we're going to make fun of that family so instead of it where it takes a village to raise a family you're really on an island when you live in certain communities yeah. and because you're afraid you're afraid to say, hey, I need help. My kid is screwing up. What What do you do when this happens? Yeah. Nobody wants anybody to know. And and you'll see that, Mitch. Like what you're going to see, it's, cra- it's the same cycle. It doesn't matter where you're at. 
You're super excited to have a kid. Yeah. You're going to rush to teach him how to say the alphabet before everyone else. They're <laughs> going to be singing songs. I mean, you're going to have little Einstein on. And yeah. I'm sure Jess is already brainwashing her right now inside the womb. <laughs> yeah. You know, Je- Jess sings to our, yeah. our daughter is going to come out singing. singing. Of course. And she's going to be screaming, like crying, and it's going to be on key. Yeah, it'll be like, on key. Yeah, yeah. it's exactly. going to be crazy. What would be really awesome if she sung like you and Jess had to deal with that? Oh, we joke. <laughs> Cause so me, like I was on one end of the spectrum as far as like all American football player, SEC football player, whatever. Can't sing worth. I mean, I'll hold a tune. I'm not going to do it for y'all, but I can hold a tune. (laughs) Um, No, maybe another day. Maybe I'm not drinking coffee. If I'm drinking something else, shoot. Um, But, uh, but she, I love you to death, babe. Um, Like trips walking up a curb. Like when I toss her, when I toss her things, I'm like, please don't like hit you in the face. Like I really, like I hold my breath, but she is, go listen to anything that she Uh, sings. And it's like, it's insane. But we joke like, what if our baby gets both of our recessive genes and like, she can't walk up a curb or hold a tune. Like that's, what's crazy. Like Tiffany has a crush on Corey and I have a crush on Jess. Like (laughs) we're like, we love them so much. Like we just worship them. And when I, when I met, finally met Corey, uh, when they did the, the opening of the release of the last Uh album and I told Tiff, she's like, what you you met Corey right and Brandon's like yeah I told him I had a man crush on him like, so, you know and just that yeah. that's it's to to be able to do what she does like that's the envy of the world like oh, athletes yeah. that are the top performers in the world are like if I could just sing you know? I literally I tell her all the time I'm like babe my athleticism is great it paid for my school we have yeah. no like the two of us have no student debt which is beautiful right. like that's amazing but now what <laughs> like I play in a Red Rocks basketball league. Uh, you can probably lift. You can, I probably can bench 300. I, you know? I, yeah, I can lift a lot of weight still. Yeah. That's cool. But if I could sing, like my dream, like one day is to lead worship with my wife somehow. Like I'm going to wake up one day and God's going to be like, you have 24 hours. You know, sing. I've already like, planted the seed with her. I was like, you know what you need? You need some old guys singing backup. They don't need to have the microphone. Just a choir in the they background. They need to be able to have, carry, you know, dance a little bit, dance to the music, that, and pretend yeah. like they're singing. And she, that was my she audition. would be all for it. I think yeah. she's. She said, "Yeah, let's I, do it. I don't doubt it. She's. Um, she would find a way to make it work. Um, yeah, she's given me chills so many times. And when when uh, so how we found Red Rocks, which is a, a really great story. Yeah. Uh, so. Tiff and I were, when I got out, I was like, babe, we got to find a church. Like I'm, I'm let's go. And and we struggled in Arizona. There's, there's some mega churches there, but they weren't speaking to me when, when I went Mm -hmm. and uh, it was a struggle. Luckily I was in the word every day and I was and and we were part of that kind of church plant the initial yeah. group and we loved him as a speaker, but we didn't, the music wasn't where it, you know, it needs to yeah. be the whole thing. Yeah. Let's, let's be real. Yeah. People want to have great music and a great sermon and they want to feel great when they leave and hopefully carry that with them to the week mm-hmm. until they're broken down on Saturday and they start <laughs> all over again on Sunday. But yeah. um, we started looking online and like, Hey, a church is in Denver, you know, and we knew the song breakthrough. That had that was kind of at that point, right, the beginning of that pandemic. Mm-hmm. I think it was pretty popular right then. And then we had saw Sean, and at the time, uh, you know, this is early pandemic. We could see Tiff could see the pain he was going through, and mm-hmm. I, I think he's been pretty open about yeah. some of the things he was experiencing. She's like, 
dude, look at this guy. I said, wow, he's a good looking dude. Man. <laughs> that guy's a model. What is, how's he a preacher? Like, what's going on here? Uh, and she's like, there's something, there's something about him. Like something's going on. Like, mm. I want to know what's up, you know? Yeah. Like, and uh, I said, all right. Well, I said, well, the music seems good. I said, hopefully church will be back one day and we can go to church. So we were, we were watching online prior to ever stepping into a building mm. and uh, we live up in Westminster. So uh, when churches started to open, we went to Arvada okay. and uh, it was great, you know, like, you know, uh, it wasn't chess, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it was good, right? It's yeah. good. I think Jake's there, and he's such a great producer. Uh, yeah, amazing, Jake's amazing. Talented, and the girl was amazing that was singing. Uh, and so we went and talked to them and said, hey, you know, uh, we're new to the community. Um, we love your church. We want to go. Um, and then we were kind of talking about what TIFF did, you know, and like, do you have a Celebrate Recovery program? You know, all these different things. Like, how can we get more connected yeah. and help some of these people that we knew were struggling? Because, you know, you have to kind of separate that. The detox center is the detox center. And this thing that we want to do with giving people the option to come to church is not a part of the program. It's just something that we want to do and and be okay with doing it and not, you know, break any rules or embarrass anyone or, you know, anything like that. So we want to be real Tiff's super cautious about that kind of stuff. And they had said, well, you know, we have a campus in Lakewood. Hmm. And so that's how we found this campus. I think before we even came, we were, we were emailing Josh like, Hey, you know, da, 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 da. And then I come early and I, and I said, you know, I, I want people to experience what's going on. So we sit right behind yeah. you guys. Yeah, you, you sit. <laughs> I think and, we were sitting in your seats the first time we came, and well, then they had to start labeling them. Well, like, this is the band seats. You guys don't know what you're doing. You know? Well, no, it, it's uh, – I, I think, honestly, that's a, more of a on – the, on the, from the church side of it, it's more like, hey, we're going to – because a lot of the, the staff members, um, they're busy throughout, the, and it's like we need, we want us to all sit in, yeah. um, so that the congregation, yeah, the people, see can see that it's also like, because it truly like church can feel like a job sometimes um, on my end. Uh, yeah, the the more I see you guys in the back end, I see that like if I come during the week and mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, these guys are this this where they work, yeah, you know, and. And I don't even – I'm not even on staff at Red yeah. Rocks, but I mean I'm married to a staff member. and um, But the, but I, I say that like we have our own spots labeled only because yeah. uh, it's kind of like a – putting up like a, a – a, a, we, we go there so that our pastors can be pastors too. Yeah, and, and I think it's – that is – Josh and I have talked about this a bunch um, because – not a bunch, but a few times. But I say to him – like when I own the nightclub. Yeah. Everybody wanted to know who the owner was. Are you the old, creepy, weird nightclub guy or are you the cool young guy? Thank yeah. God I was the cool <laughs> young guy back then. But that made them feel good to know who the owner was. And so I kind of carried that in my other businesses. I always made sure that my employees knew that I was going to be there no matter what. And yeah. this might be repetitious for me, but it's new for you. And, and even Josh had said – because I'm like, Josh, you know – you need to speak more. And he's like, that's not my jam. My jam is connecting like I'm doing with you right now. And then I give him a hard time. I'm like, well, then go do it. Your congregation's <laughs> out there waiting on you. Like, Stop talking at, to me. He's looking at me and ready to kill me, right? You know, like, but, who are you, dude? I don't even know you. And you're telling me that stuff? But know? it's cool that you bring people – like you use your – because a detox center, 
is a detox center. It's not a church. It's not a. Um, I'm. Sh- I don't know the the. There's nothing really faith based going. I mean, it, if you go through an AA program, a lot of that twelve step program's got some faith based kind of things inside of it. But but on the the bones of it, the people that are coming there are coming to detox. Yeah. Um, and you're using it as a ministry field to be able to bring, dude. I I turn around. And I sit in at the nine. Um, I'm not on staff. I don't have to sit in for both. So I sit in. <laughs> I sit in on the nine, and uh, I turn around, and you've got an entire row of 15 people every week, and that's so cool. Yeah. That's um, well, that's my wife. That really isn't me. And uh, but you've put, okay. Yeah. Even I, I'll allow you to to defer um, to defer. I just give them love <laughs> and food. But you and and but you you are. You are to them what Josh is to the church in the fact that um, he is an example and he's standing up front worshiping and the church looks at him and says, okay, that's someone that I trust doing that. And that's a normal looking dude. And that's a normal looking dude. (laughs) You're standing at the end of the aisle with all of your people, yeah, yeah. all of your, what would be, what's the, the noun that you, the, the people that are enrolled in your program? Yeah. Just, you know, and, and That'd I be think a verb. what's even more powerful, uh, is when people that have left the facility are still coming back to church. And yeah. that was when I, I – because I told – I said, Tiff, there's 30 people here that you've touched. Like mm-hmm. you've you've had that kind of impact on them. And she's like, no, there's not. I'm like, yeah. yeah. There, there are people from sober living facilities and people that are with their families and people that drive 100 miles to come to church with us. Yeah. I said, you're making – you're." You you like and she doesn't look at it that way. No. She's just trying to keep me from doing something stupid at all times. It's like, <laughs> but I'm that's like, co- it's cool that it's cool that man. I, I think so often I've wrestled with this. Holy cow! Yeah. I live in a, I live in a world where every single person that I live with, do life with, work with, like shoot the 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 owners of my of the company that I work for. Their their son is even like works for the church, works for Red Rocks. <laughs> like I'm like inundated with people who are doing ministry <laughs> as a vocation, and right. it's like and part like, of you gets part of you starts to be like, oh, what I'm doing is isn't it's less than it's less than as a Christian I should be working for a church. As a Christian I should like literally my brother in law is a youth pastor. My my sister in law is on staff uh, for young adults. Makes it work. Also like makes young adults work with also running all of creative for production for right. youth. And I'm sitting here like I sell gloves. But your wife it is is testament to the fact that like you can work. You any and you are too. Anywhere that you go, you're yeah. able to be a hand or a foot or a, a knee or an elbow right. in the body of Christ. Well, like, what's awesome too is because I'm still struggle with my presentation of my testimony and and how to really have the answers for people. Is that it's really easy to just bring them to you guys and say, "Okay, church, <laughs> here, you guys do it." I don't know what I'm doing, but, and uh, it, but th- that just shows even still again, the, like because uh, to me. Evangelism is hard for me yeah. as far as like reaching out to people who I don't I don't know if they want to go to church. Like yeah. I, I don't I want you to like me so bad that I'm afraid to ask you something that might step on your toes. Like well, if I were to say, hey, Steve, come to church with me. And then you say, oh, no, thank you. Immediately. I'm like, like, oh, like right. whereas 
if I'm at church and you're bringing people to church, I'm so comfortable here at church. I'll love on people. That's what I'm good at. Well, if you think about that, Mitch, the reason that I even cooked food for you guys was because you were so approachable to me. Brandon and I were sitting out front and you walk by and we're like, yo, what's up? And all of a sudden we're talking about music and football. And I'm saying, hey, when what night does the band practice? I'll bring some food for them. And then I find out that they get here at five in the morning and work till <laughs> one in the afternoon. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And they don't get paid and they're so amazing. And I'm like, okay. And so you did that. So if you think about it, like, and how good they feel when they're eating food that I cook and they want to thank me and love on me. And I'm like, no, stay away. I'm good. You know, I don't even want you to know I'm doing it right. Uh, Although I do like hanging out in the back sometimes, but then I'm like, I'm the oldest guy back here. This sucks. I'm tired of being the oldest guy everywhere I go. Then Jim walks in and then. Yeah. But you, you did that. And you made it to where I felt comfortable talking to you. And look, whether Jess knows it or not, she's a celebrity. Like, I know who all – I know the first names of everybody in Elevation Worship Band. Yeah. You know, and and Red Rocks is is on that pathway of becoming that mega super super Christian band if they want to. They may not want to. What's really cool is that you guys do it. But yet you keep it, and they keep, and, and Elevation does the same thing. They christen them. They still, they still perform at the church, yeah. which is amazing. And I think even Casting Crowns, one of the times I went and saw them, he was talking about how he's still the youth pastor <laughs> in his church cool. in Georgia. And I'm like, that's cool. That's so cool because, you know, because then you look at somebody like Corey and you're like, oh my gosh, I hope he never leaves. But then when you talk to Corey, you're like, that guy's not going anywhere. <laughs> like, this is their that, home. That's and, the cool thing about... it's Yeah, it's it's crazy. And what you guys... Like, and one of the things I was talking to... Uh, I got an amazing friend in Oklahoma. We trade Bible verses in the morning. And he his story is something else, man. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I want you to meet him. But uh, I was telling him, I'm like, where churches struggle is... They get stuck on a message and then that becomes their message and they can't deviate from it. Hmm. Like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to pick on Joel Osteen because there's times I love listening to him, but Joel says the same thing every single time. God wants you to be wealthy. You can do it. Everything's fine. It's their anointed, you know, and, and where what's cool about Red Rocks is that each one of your pastors has a personality to them, mm-hmm. but they're all in different stages of their life. And they're not only sharing like the message or the plan that they're working on, but they're sharing their perspective of it based on where they're at in their life. So by having three or four different people speak about a subject matter, you're getting three or four viewpoints on it, which connects and resonates with different people at the church yeah. at different times. You've got people sitting in there like Sean was talking about last week that have drugs in their pocket that are struggling, that are trying Mm -hmm. to make a decision about where they want to go with their life. And you have other people that have been Christian for so long, but are stuck. They, they're not doing anything with their walk and their faith, or if they're afraid to, or they don't know what to do. And you get all these different types of people. And so to get a real true melting pot of a congregation, the message has to come from different people in different ways. It's like when I look back the Bible that I used in prison and the notes I wrote in there. And when I read that scripture now, it means so, it's so different. I'm like, wow, I was lost (laughs) back then. But the thing is, is like that just shows that the Bible is living and active and God breathed. And the fact that like you could read, dude, I've read through old Bibles and old journals and the way that the Lord spoke to me in 
um, Psalms 20, Psalms 23, literally Psalms 23 verse, whatever I could read it one way three years ago and have it be completely different yeah, it's crazy. today. And that's a cool thing. Um, and I love what you're talking about with like different perspectives in it and the different ages of our pastors. I believe, um, that really, and to, to like kind of t- selfishly to tie it into this project is like, you are, you said 56, 57, 57. Yeah. Um, there are men listening to this who are 25, 24, yeah. I'm 26. Like, uh, there are, there are men in here who, who listen to this that are going to be going through things that you have and they're going to have a different perspective, but you're going to be able to, um, I don't know. I think that that's, you're talking. I sit there envious of you guys because if I would have had my act together at 24, 25, 26, and I'm not talking about life figured out. None of this. Look, that, I hate to tell you this, Mitch, but you're going to (laughs) be 57 and just as lost as you are now. Um, Fully expectant. But, to if I man because I influenced so many people. I did concerts, festivals. I had a popular nightclub. I started a radio station. I did every. I look if the devil had a soldier, it was me. Hmm. And I drugs, alcohol, you know, all the stuff that people want to come in here and talk about. Just let's just assume I was one of the best at doing it, you know, or worst at doing it. And the people I turned on to doing that and influenced and got to get into that lifestyle, not intentionally, but just because of my presence and my ability to communicate and yeah. a magnetism that I know that I do have. Yeah. It was the same in the business world. I taught people how to make money mm-hmm. and I didn't care. I didn't take any prisoners and I ran through walls literally in front of them. I shaved every hair off my body when they mm-hmm. hit sales goals. I, I did crazy stuff and, and, but it was about of the world mm-hmm. and I was good at of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, if I would have took my knowledge, my skill, my charisma and applied it to God, you know, to, yeah. to the, to the, pa- the right pathway, I could have, I could have changed thousands of lives. But you still can I, at I your can. age because, I, because yeah. you went through what you went. That's the thing is like, yeah. I, I was talking with a friend yesterday. Um, and I think that th- this is two parts. I think that, um, that you, a, we're told like don't talk about it, and so like my mission is like to normalize just men talking in general, but like to normalize men talking about the stuff that they're embarrassed about. To norm like the stuff that like you when you spoke about earlier about maintaining this front. Like I thought to like my hometown of like, every, you would you would have walked in the cold a second. Every single person would have been the person like the Jones next door, and they were great. And but like behind the door is like this chaotic mess <laughs> of like crap. And I'm learning about that now as I'm an adult. I'm like. Oh, I didn't know that th- that family was – you would never have known no. but because they don't talk about it. They're scared. And they're scared because it, it might ruin that image that we're taught that we need to maintain. But like you talking about it, like you going through all this stuff, you wouldn't be the weapon that you are today if you wouldn't have gone through that stuff because right. like we talk about how Jess is this weapon um, and she – um, to me, I tell people it's like she's a broadsword. She's like this double-handed, like, <laughs> like just chopping through. Mm-hmm. I see myself as like a Swiss Army knife, <laughs> where like I have a whole bunch of little weapons. None of them are gonna like take somebody's head off. 
But none of them are that good. None of well, well, that's the thing is like I I like to write, but I'm not like the yeah, I'm I not C.S. Lewis. I, I right. like to draw. I'm not Picasso. I like I like to yeah. talk to people, but at the same time, I talk too much sometimes. And so, like, it's one of those things that I'm like, but I I'm good enough at all of them to make a difference somehow. Yeah. And so, and because of that, I can empathize with a lot of people because I've gone through a lot of stuff. And I'm I mean. F- relative I'm 26 but for my 26 years I've gone through a wide range of different experiences I can sit I think partially you alluded to it just now like I was I'm I'm able to be approached be, and then have a conversation with you because we talked about music we talked about food we talked about football you can do that with people yeah because you've lived your life yeah I some of the comp my best compliments were like, dude, you can talk to the CEO and you can talk to the janitor and you will connect with them at every level. And I do, I think that, you know, one of the things that I've discovered um, through the the blessing of being able to do what I do for a living is that, you know, my work's on Colfax. And so I see like tons of homeless people (laughs) and, and I'm making food and, guess what homeless people need? They need food, you know? And so as I'm getting to know them, I'm like, and then I'm reading Matthew, you know, and you're like, these are God's people. This is what the heaven's going to be filled with if they understand, you know, why they're here on this earth. And, and I have just got this such a different perspective now. And one of the craziest things happened to me on the way to church on Sunday I had some food left over and there was a group of four people out on the street and they, they've seen me before. Like, you know, they'll talk to me. Hey, there's the guy, you know, and yeah. I go up and I feed them. And this guy is like here and he gives me 50 cents. And I'm like, no, dude, I don't need any money. He's like, give this to somebody that needs it. Mm-hmm. This is a homeless person <laughs> giving me all the money that's in his pocket. Wow. And I'm like, Wow, I am so falling short. Like this guy is struggling, obviously, whatever the reason is. And and there's a multitude of reasons. Yeah. Obviously, there's drug and alcohol and available and people are on it and they're broken. And But there's also mental illness and there's a number of different things going on in that community that's hard to put your finger on. And I talk to Christian people about it and they're pretty callous sometimes about it. Mm. Yeah, but, you know, da, da, da. I'm like, no, like, look, something's going on. Like, yeah. that's another person. Yeah. And if it's a family member, does it mean more? I mean, why does – what's it take for that to mean more? Yeah. That what's going on out there? And so – um when that guy did that to me, I, it shook me. I, I came here to church Sunday, and I was sitting in there, and I was just like, what just happened? Like, that guy's out on the street. He has nothing. They want money, and he gave me all the money he had. Mm. And so I have that 50 cents sitting in my car where I can see it every day. Oh, wow. And I just look at it, and it makes me realize, like, because there's been times that uh, – I've given food and I've broken down and started crying. And I'm like, God, what what can I what is going on? Yeah. What can I do? I oh my oh, great. And then I start thinking, well, one year you made over a million dollars. What'd you give to the church and to the needy? Well, I definitely didn't give a hundred thousand. Yeah. I didn't do my 10%. And then, you know, I try to do my 10% now or do whatever. And it's nothing because I don't make anything. You know, I make mm-hmm. okay, you know, but just, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not what I used to do. I make a year what I used to make a month. Yeah. And 
and I'm doing it and I'm like, gosh, man, I missed the mark. And there, that's a difficult, you know, it's a cross I'm carrying that I shouldn't be carrying no. because I am forgiven and I have grace and I understand all that stuff. And what I do now is what's important. Everything, every day is a clean slate. It doesn't yeah. matter what I've done in the past. No. I've got to let that go. And I just got to be the best part I can be. But yet, let's say for two hours a day, I'm doing nothing. And maybe I'm taking a nap and maybe I'm watching the news and I'm getting brainwashed or whatever. <laughs> I could have been doing, doing, you know, so there's always this moment where you're kind of going, I'm never doing enough and never doing enough. And I was talking Which to. Which is the enemy whispering yeah, in your ear. It is. Because I was talking to my accountant yesterday and, you know, he obviously knows a lot about me yeah. and we're good friends. And I've been telling him, I'm like, dude, there's part of me that knows I should just get back on that horse and go do it again. He's like, yeah, you should. <laughs> and I'm like, but Ray, there's also a part of me that knows that I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I really want to follow where God needs to put me. And if that's where God thinks I should be. But but then you also struggle with that. Like I had an opportunity to go work for a bank uh, out of New Jersey and do their call center and their sales organization. Yeah. And that's that's a huge income opportunity. Yeah. But there was – in in my call was on my way to the Red Rocks release party that yeah. Friday night. Yeah. And so I said to him, he says, hey, we got a bad connection. I'm going to call from this number, and I'm going to call in 10 minutes. And I said, okay, cool. I've still got 30 minutes before I've got something to do. Yeah. Well, he it was a Friday night. He's in New Jersey. It's, you know, at night. Yeah. You know, maybe he had a couple cocktails. I don't know what was going on with the guy. But he was okay. We had a good initial call. But he didn't call me in that 10 minutes, and he didn't shoot me a text. And normally in – and I wouldn't even notice that or care. Yeah. I'd have been like, oh, yeah, he's busy. No problem. Uh, I'm going to talk to him when I talk to him. I'm going to build this team and I'm going to make millions of dollars. I'm going to do this. Yeah. But it just was like – and I'm going to a church event and I'm like, I'm I'm not going to do this. Hmm. And I, this, this, is, this is showing me like – this is the mistake you've made your whole life. You have settled for less. You have gone into business with people because they allowed you to be what you wanted to be, and that's all you cared about. You didn't even look at their character or why they were even involved in your life and what mm -hmm. the character flaws were that I had inside that put me in front of these people. And it was that moment where I was like, I'm not going to go after that. I'm not going to go after the gold. I'm going to do what I'm doing because – that's where I'm supposed to be. And I felt this calm and peaceness over hmm. me. But yet there's still people in my family, people that know me are like, dude, what are you doing? Well, and it, well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's your definition of gold. Like yeah. you say, you're not going to go after the gold, but like, I mean, I, I I've never made millions, <laughs> but at 21, I was making a lot of money doing yeah. medical sales, single, yeah. uh, it's all relative. It's, it's all relative. So like, if you got more money than your bills are, you're making millions. Yeah. And but like I I was doing very well for a 21-year-old and I quit my job to do an unpaid internship and I was the happiest that I'd ever been. Right. And the most satisfied and fulfilled that I'd ever been doing something that I was passionate about. And like for you to go chase this worldly definition of gold i mean yeah. making money is not a bad thing like i like you making no, money is not a bad it's thing not. <laughs> but if you're not if you can if you can find a way to make money while you're passionate doing something you're passionate about but like to me there's so much more value in cooking for someone who is in right. a detox center to you than for, like 
for you to go make millions of dollars. Yeah, and and I can do very well doing this. I've had opportunities to cook for other facilities, but personally, I'm not in that position because of everything that I've been through. I still have to answer yeah. to the government for a little while longer. Yeah, so I you have to be very and and that's a blessing too. Like I, I was talking to my criminal attorney uh, right when I got out, and I was getting all these offers because look, in the real world, nobody cares that you went to prison. They're like. You're a rainmaker. We want you to come work for us. Yeah. I'm like, you guys know I'm a felon, right? They're like, yeah, that's the only reason why we can hire you because you'd be self-employed. <laughs> and so we're looking at it as an opportunity. And I'm like, yeah, I probably shouldn't work for you if you want to hire somebody like me. Not yeah. like that I'm a bad person, but the fact that you don't care enough to do your research and even ask me what happened and why it happened and what kind of person yeah. I am. You just know I'm a moneymaker. Hmm. Then you know, like, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. And th- that was some of the best advice I got was from my attorney when he got it. He was such a, such a nice person. And he was so upset when I got sentenced because he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. Because <laughs> everybody was like, you're not going to jail. You're Lamont. Like, dude, you're, not, you're, like, you're like a good dude. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to jail, guys. <laughs> like, it's just how the world works. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe some other call we can we can – go into that because yeah. it is pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, some of the things I've been through, but um, this has been great for me. Thank <laughs> you for counseling me. I feel like uh, uh, a good person. Oh, <laughs> shoot. No, I, what, and this is, I had some friends the other day. Uh, we were sitting talking about this and the process of it. And um, I told you like, we, we sit and we, we pray beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, Holy Spirit, include what we need to include, exclude what doesn't need to be there. Like, let you have the glory. That's it. Like, you came into this, I was in zero way expecting to talk about Mormonism and right. and Judaism. And, like, you were super nervous coming in about, you're like, I have multiple people, people praying for me and I need to be careful what I talk about. Right. And, like... Dude, I don't. I I don't feel a pressing need to ask you what you went to prison for. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't feel like, like that. Like what we've talked about is what we've talked about, and like I want. The, the the I was talking to my friends about this about the creative process of creating a podcast, and my podcast is organic. It is. Yeah. It does what it wants, and it does what the Holy Spirit wants, and like what I selfishly want is just to normalize men talking. You're right. We are right. talking. You and I are talking. Uh, we're talking about things that um, you and I would sit and talk about without mics in front of our right. face. Right. But that is something that is so foreign. <laughs> right. to, like it's foreign today to like even as men like in our congregation. Like it's like we we keep coming back to it. it's just image that I need to maintain of like I'm a good Christian here at church. Here we are. Let's talk about all the good things. Right. Um, show me your Instagram with your perfect kids with right. doing the Don't perfect thing. Don't talk about your feelings and your insecurities because we're secure in yeah. what we are. And uh, what what I was concerned I was going to do was kind of glamorize some of the things I did in my 20s and glamorize some of the things I did in my 30s and 40s because they can be glamorized based on my presentation of it. So yeah. when I was told, you're, you know, right before I went in, dude, you need to write a book. I, I said, no, I'm not writing a book because this all I'm going to be doing is writing this story about how this guy lived this crazy life. That's not the story I want to tell. No. I, it needs to be way better than that. And even like now when I'm told like, well, now that you 
found God or God found you or however they want to put it. Now, now write the book. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to do that. And, and, and I'm not saying that I won't at some point write it all down. Like I tried to once and I, it took me, you know, 400 pages and I was still at age 17 because of some of the crazy stuff that I witnessed and experienced as a young, young person. And, you know, and maybe that's exciting and people would think it'd be interesting and it, it would be, you know, but is it giving glory to God? It's, it's probably not, you know? And yeah. so I'm, I'm very careful about that. I've, I've had, a lot, I've done a, I do a lot of mentoring and coaching. I've always done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people are like, dude, you need to make a business out of that. I'm like, nah, that's <laughs> not really mentoring and coaching if I'm charging somebody. Then it's monetizing. That's, that's me trying to figure out a way to get them to keep coming back. Yeah. Because uh, the one time I did accept a fee to go in and do consulting for another business, uh, they were going to pay me like $10,000 a month and a percentage of the gross, which is good money, right? They were doing yeah. decent money. And I was there like two weeks and I told them to shut their company down <laughs> because I was giving them an honest evaluation. They were going about it incorrectly and they didn't want to make the change. They were investing the money in hourly wage instead of marketing. I'm like, dude, you want to get your sales guys to sell? Spend money on marketing. That's yeah. what they want. And pay them a great commission when they sell something, yeah. which has always kind of been my formula. And I said, well, if you're not going to do that, then I'm out. They're like, yeah, but we're paying you 10 grand a month. I'm like, don't pay me that. I, I don't want to like, put my name on something yeah, I don't agree with. So, there's there's a group. It was I got a call. Uh, man, I got a call from a guy that lives here that I met at the gym. Nice kid, man. Just a great guy. Fell in love. Got married. Girl, the church. They're trying to do it all right, and he's struggling with some decisions about where they live and all this stuff. I haven't talked to the guy in months, and I barely know him. And he called me, and we talked for two hours. Mm-hmm. And he's like, man. Thank you so much. I'm like, dude, thanks for calling me, man. Thanks for letting me be a part of, you know, the solution of of whatever's going on with you. And that feeling of being able to help somebody with your experiences and what you've been through. Like, I give marital advice, but if I told my wife that I was giving marital advice, she'd be like – (laughs) who's giving you advice? You suck at being married. You know, I mean, I don't, but you know what I mean? Like we we fall short. Like there's things I, I definitely don't rub her feet enough, you know? Uh, and which is something I need to do now that more often I'm, my wife is very pregnant and I should rub her feet. Just rub her feet, dude. (laughs) Give her a massage. Everything will be all right. Um, and, and about parenting. And I'm like, that doesn't mean that my kids don't screw up and I don't have, but he, here's what I, I tell them. Like, look, like, dude, this is a marathon. It's not a race. And the issue is as a parent, you have these dreams and goals. And some of these kids live out those dreams and goals because that's what you've forced upon them. Yeah. You know, when Simone Biles talks about mental health issues, okay, well, yeah, because your parents were freaks and they made you do gymnastics for eight hours a day when you were a child. Yeah. Like that, yes, that's those are the things that traumatize kids, these unrealistic expectations. Look, I would love for my kids to be doctor, lawyer, whatever, and have this amazing profession. But that's not important. What I want them to be are good human beings yeah. that my adult friends like. Like when I'm going to a fantasy football draft in San Diego, my buddy's like, you can bring your sons if you want to a grown man event where no other kids are going to be there because they know how to treat people with respect and honor them. And they're quiet and people mistaken (laughs) quietness for intellect. And I'm like, no, they're not that smart. They're just quiet. You know, but you know, like that's, that's the key in life. Like when we had our, we had a family gathering in February with the kids for Tiff's birthday. 
And there was a moment when they were all playing games on the and the you know just playing yeah. some stupid inappropriate game. Yeah. You know, I'm being funny. You know, yeah. Cards Against Humanity or yeah. whatever those games are, right? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't playing because it was you know whatever. A lot of times I just like to make food and watch yeah. and stuff. And to I just was the watching wall. them, and I was just like, dude, we we did it, Tiff. Mm-hmm. Like, look. Like our kids like each other and they're laughing and they're having fun, you know, and that's really what it's all about. And the world, that's not what the world promotes. Mm. The world promotes that we're going to push these kids to do this, to do this, to do this, to do this. And if they don't, then they're failures. And then these unrealistic expectations or their parents' inability to communicate creates these kids that don't know how to cope. And then that's when drugs and alcohol and bad decisions come into play. I know exactly when I started making the wrong decisions. I know exactly the condition of my my family at the time I started making bad decisions. Hmm. I remember when I was the smartest kid in the class and I was, you know, going to science fairs and I was the best athlete and my parents were married and I didn't know how screwed up things really were. And then I know when things got screwed up and I'm a senior in high school and it starts falling apart. And then when my decision-making process started going in the wrong direction, Mm -hmm. I was just following what my environment was. My parents didn't intend on that. They didn't want me to make bad decisions, but nobody was saying to me, Hey, whoa, wait, what are you doing? Don't do that. Yeah. Here's why you don't do that. I love you, dude. If you want to do that, go ahead. But here's the result of that. Yeah. Nobody was doing that for me. And that's where we lose track, right? And mm-hmm. we've had – there's been COVID. It's not even COVID. COVID's the excuse. But there's been tons of suicides and drug overdoses and things. And it's obviously we're all more aware of everything and we all have an excuse now. But that stuff was going on prior to COVID. Yeah. But – COVID made us all way more aware of everything. It's like this, what I tell people about prison. What's the worst thing about prison? You're thinking about yourself all the time. I was too busy to think about myself. I was consumed about myself when I was in prison. That's what COVID did to everyone else. They made them self-consumed. Oh my God, this is happening to me. What's going on? It's self-consumption, right? And the distractions were gone at work and all the different things, sports and all the things that we do. But we, we had my... Brandon's one of his best friends and this kid was struggling when he was younger, but we loved him. We coached him in football and basketball and I just loved him. Yeah. He's just a great kid. And we got him to go to a Christian school for a little bit, but he was struggling academically and he was in and out and Brandon was still his friend and was like, you know, come on, dude, we got this right. Well, he overdoses and he dies. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. And Brandon's crushed. I'm crushed. Tiffany's crushed. Family's crushed. Still crushed. It's been a year. Wow. And I called up all the coaches that I coached with to coach him. I said, dude, we failed this kid. They're like, what? I go, dude, yeah, it's real easy to be the superstar coach that everybody loves when a kid's nine, you know, like or 12. And they're just hugging you and kissing you and telling you they love you and the parents love you. But when the kid really needed us, when he was 15, 17, 19, were we there? None of us were there. Did we all know he had a problem? Yeah, we all knew. But we didn't reach out. We didn't take him under our wing. We didn't take him to McDonald's or sit down and have a conversation with him or sit with the family and say, what can we do? Let's fix this situation. We're here from you. I'm a support piece. We do that for them when, the, when, there's, no, when there's no issues. It's easy mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah. But when the kid really needed us, we failed him. And, dude, those, those dads are mad at me. They, they don't, I haven't talked to them since then because I said, look, dude, think about how many other kids that we've had an impact on their life. Uh, you know, I was the coach that – the families loved, yeah. but 
what, because I went through some stuff. I'm not reaching out to those kids. So I made a point, and I hate social media. I don't hate it, but I just, you know. It's I hate just, it. It's brutal. <laughs> uh, it's totally destroying this country and, and the souls of our country. Uh, there's some funny things about it. And yeah, that's it, sometimes the only where, place I get my news. And I'm like, oh, that really happened? And then you find, oh, that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, but, but I reached out to all these kids just to be friends with them and just shoot them a message. And I said, hey, I'm here just thinking about how you doing. And you could tell by their responses if they're doing okay or not. Yeah. Because we are so embarrassed we're so embarrassed to say our kids struggling. We need help. Come on, as a community, this village, we were all together. We all went to the Pop Warner barbecue game, barbecues and yeah. the dinners, and went out and listened to live music and partied and had fun. But we can't share that our kids struggling and we need help. Hmm. Hey, Steve, my son loved you as a coach. Can you talk to him? Here's what he's going through. Hmm. They didn't. They didn't feel like they could do that. Hmm. Okay, you know, and that's you're, you'll face it. You'll yeah. see. You're gonna have twelve kids. Yeah. You're gonna- well, you're speaking to, um, you're speaking to something that uh, I think I've alluded to this project as a passion project, and it's multiple layered. But like, you're speaking to something that I have dreams about of of organically creating mentorship throughout yep. within the church, and how does that look? And like, how do because there are Absolutely. men your age and who a can glean from. Men ten years older than you can glean from men my age, but there's also definitely, matter of factly, men my age who can learn from the experiences of you. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm able to speak into high schoolers' lives. Um, I think that I'm able to sometimes speak into lives of the men right around my age. But I, I and for no reason other than I'm 30 years younger than you, if I were to be like, hey, Steve, this is what you should do, you'd probably look at me like, all right, son. Like, no. <laughs> no, uh, but uh, yes, but like, correct. but like for the most part, like, like yeah. I'm, I know that there are times, um, speaking of as my dad calls me, uh, <laughs> but I, I think like it would be so cool. And I know that this is what's cool and I want to connect you with them after this. So, um, yeah. but like there are men in our church right now who are working on, I, I had coffee with one of them yesterday on, on establishing this mentorship, men speaking to men about thing, normalizing men talking right, again, right. but like that doesn't mean just laterally that that can be vertically, um, horizontal conversations. It's all around, but yeah. like, um, you're speaking to the importance of real life mentoring and that's, well, yeah, I was talking to Ray and I said, Ray, like, it's easy for somebody to want to talk to me because I've been to some dark places and I'm coming out of it and I have a story to tell. But what about somebody like you who's just this amazing businessman, amazing friend, amazing father? And he's like, well, I'm kind of screwed up too. I said, yeah, right. I know you are. But you you haven't had that traumatic experience. I, I mean, I haven't even gone into when my first daughter passed away and mm-hmm. how traumatic that was and a sister I'm died. Sorry, and a lot of weird stuff, right, that gives yeah. you this weird perspective of life and death and all this. Uh, and also our opportunities to get close to God and I always kind of chose the other direction. Yeah. Uh, but like where, where we – it's it's easy for me to go and feed a homeless person and tell them how much I love them and that God loves them and I'll be praying for them and that they thank me and we talk about Jesus. Yeah. Okay? That's low-hanging fruit. They're out there. It's easy to grab. But who's out there talking to somebody who's 45 years old that has a successful business, has a great family, but has no walk with God? They where Where's, where's the need and where are the people – ministering to those people. Hmm. And like I was telling Ray, I said, Ray, like your story 
is the story that really should be told. This is a man who's got a great family, who's got a great business, that has a walk with God. And I remember one time I bought him this wooden statue of Jesus before I was really a a real believer as a joke because we would talk about God all the time and have these weird, you know, intense discussions. And I sent that to him. And I asked him, so, hey, how's Jesus doing? He's like, he's still here in my room. I look at him every day and I think of you. And he goes, what's funny, Steve? Well, you bought that as a joke, but look at it now. It actually means something. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah. And he goes, and then he told me this crazy story about how he walked in one day and it was turned looking the other way and he can't figure out how it happened. He's afraid to ask the kids. (laughs) doesn't want to scare them, you know, like. Little as you know, his kids Yeah, And so so we miss it because the power in society are – Men and women that run this country, that run these towns, that run these communities, but yet are we ministering to them and are we helping them yeah. and are they learning about God? Are they learning about what Christ did for them and, and how what kind of impact they can have and truly fully understanding why they're in the position they're in and what the purpose could actually be yeah. inside that position? We're missing the mark. Wow. You know, and yeah. uh, anyhow, I I know you probably want to wrap this up. No, 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 no. I'm I'm getting I'm getting my my wife. Um, I know my phone was blowing up too, blowing me up because she's having to go. Her boss tested positive for COVID, so she has to go get COVID, and <sighs> all of these places or COVID tests. So all these places that are claiming that they have walk-ins are not, and so she's blowing up my phone to with frustration of why are walk-ins <laughs> advertised if they're not walk-ins. Um, but now she's sitting in the parking lot waiting for me, oh, um, well, we which should, is okay. I, she told me she would wait. Yes, um, we should always but, have an eight-month pregnant woman waiting out in a car for you when I, it's 90 degrees out. Yeah, <laughs> she's got the air conditioning and um, emoji blitz on her phone. Well, I'd love to do this again because I just think yeah. there's so many different subjects that we can that we can dive into. I would love to. And uh, I'm honored, man. I was super worried and nervous about it. Uh, I have so many people praying for me to do this and uh you know and i and i honestly i wanted to honor and respect the people in my life that you know there's there's all kind of trials and tribulations that people around you go through that help Mm. kind of put you in a position to make you realize certain things but that's their story to tell exactly you know and you got to be careful that you respect and make sure they you know you're not offending or because there's a lot of people i'd love to throw under the bus right now that's something okay (laughs) We won't. We won't. Because I, I would love to have like a part two, maybe like a yeah. couple of weeks down the road, sure. um, where we have more than uh, more time. Yeah. Uh, but what you just said, like, there's a lot of people you'd like to throw in. Like, <laughs> I was challenged by who was it? Gosh, dang it. Um, ba, ba, ba. Anyways, I'll think of it and give them credit later. But forgiveness is not yeah. truly forgiveness if you feel like you need to drag someone's name. Right. Like, so like. There's people in my life that I have every reason to just throw up on the whiteboard and be like, look what you did to me. But that's not forgiveness. That's that is like I have forgiven them and they have hurt me, but I don't need to go into the details of how you've hurt me. I I totally agree. And one of the things uh, that I because I work alone there, it's crazy it that after I've done my workout and I start cooking and stuff, who I'm thinking about. And it's every day. And I'm like, why do I keep thinking about this person? Well, maybe you haven't really thoroughly forgiven them. And, you know, and then I'm like, well, do I reach out and tell them that I love them and it's okay what they did to me? And I know, no, don't do that. Just forgive them and, and eventually you'll stop thinking about it. Have you ever day. written a letter to those people? 
Uh, no. I only ask because there, I, there was one person in my life who I I was sitting out and I was unemployed, sitting out doing my quiet time, and we was reading a, the Bible and a verse came up about forgiveness, and I, I was like. I'm pretty good right now. I don't think there's anybody in my life that I don't like. I'm not settled with like I, and this name popped in my head. I was like, yeah, but they don't really deserve it. So like, and then it's like, oh well, that's <laughs> oh, hey, that's that's exactly, that's exactly who you need to work on. <laughs> and so I sat there and I wrote a letter um, to this person of every single thing they did to me and why and like how they yeah. in my mind ruined my life and this and this, and then I burnt it. But like being able to okay, good. You didn't send. Oh no, okay, no, no. I had every, I had every desire to, because then, like, what good does that do for me to put on someone? Like, like, oh, yeah. he he read this thing and he now knows that Mitch felt all these things. A, he probably would laugh, and B, it would be like, cool. Now you look like this dude who is, but like, so people say. That, oh, there's karma and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Listen, let me tell you something. People that do things to people, they sleep really good at night. Yeah. And most of the time, they don't even think they're doing anything to you. Mm-hmm. Like the the one that kind of really sticks out to me was this guy got me good. And we had a large company and he he got me. Yeah. And it, it's big number. Yeah. And – I knew that it was going to take me seven or eight years to recover because I was leveraged and I was doing this and doing that. And my income went from big to zero. Mm-hmm. And you don't just get big again. It That's a process. Yeah, Big just doesn't happen overnight unless you're gifted and you're an athlete. <laughs> yeah. You make a great song. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, I was – I jeez. And I mean – and he lost everything um, as well. Uh, oh, l- took him a little longer, <laughs> yeah. but it, it fell apart for him. And I did call him one day mm-hmm. and I just said, Hey, what's up, man? I just thought I, I was thinking about you. I thought I'd reach out. And what I was hoping he was going to do is apologize to me. Yeah. And he didn't. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm doing good. You know, I just thought I'd let you know, life's good. You know, think I'm having some success. Da, da, da. And he goes, yeah, I always knew you'd be successful. And that was all I got from him. And I hung up the phone and I was like, man, he didn't, he didn't forget. He didn't apologize to me. And I got another guy too, kind of part of the reason that I went away that, that couple guys that did some things to me. And again, I did them to myself. You, you did it to yourself. You put yourself in position to be around somebody that, and you also took chances because you were justified. Yeah. Oh, well this got taken from me. So I'm okay with doing this Yeah. because that gets it all back. And if I'm pushing the envelope a little bit, so be it. It's worth it. I deserve it. Hmm. It's kind of that whole weird mentality that you go through. And, uh, but I just, what I do now is I pray for them Hmm. I pray for their families and I pray for their happiness and I hope they have a relationship with God. But there's still a part of me <laughs> that wants to, you know, yeah. punch him in the face. No, yeah. uh, but still wants to reach out and say, dude, do you know what you, I loved you. I loved you. You're my brother. Like, do you know what you did to me? Like, you yeah. know how much that hurt, but it, but why do that? Like he probably knows that or he doesn't, but it's irrelevant. You don't need to jab yeah. the wound or put yeah. salt in the it's, wound. It's tough. And yeah. um, it's crazy. Like if in the – but there's probably people that I have done something to that I didn't even know I did it to them that hurt them really bad. Mm. And they probably resent me the same way. 
Yeah. You know, and but I hope they call me because <laughs> yeah. I'll be like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. I know because I, I, I thought like I remember this one time, uh, you know, when you have a business and you're successful and people are making money, people pay you homage a lot. Yeah. They tell you how great you are all the time. Yeah. Because they want to be close to you. You're successful. And there was a guy that left the company and then I ran into him. I'm like, hey, man, how are you doing? Da, da, da. I hope you're doing. And he unloaded on me. He's like, you did, you made me, and he just, and I, and I didn't realize I was like, and I was hurt by it. I I was, I was mad too, but I, it made me realize now that I'm kind of going through that process is that, you know, you could be hurting people and not even knowing you're doing it, Hmm. you know? And so have grace for yourself in that. Well, I still think that the person that you hurt has to forgive you. Yeah. It really has nothing to do with me unless you tell me, because if I didn't know, I don't know. Yeah. If you tell me that I'm going to, then it's my responsibility to go, I'm sorry. And, and I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm not that person or mm. whatever, whatever explanation you feel you need to do to make that person feel okay. It is in your court. Then if somebody shares with you, Hey, you did this to me and it hurt then it's my responsibility to address that. Mm. Whether I feel that I did it on purpose or not is irrelevant. It's just like, you know, there's a, there's a guy that I, I play golf with and I'm really weird about this. Like if you set a golf match with me and you don't show up, you got one more turn. (laughs) And if you don't show up again or you change it on me, then I, I'm not going to play with you anymore because I'm like that with basketball and golf. Maybe I shouldn't be that way. Maybe I should be more forgiving. But if my time is valuable too, and, and if I'm making plans around it, you know, and he said to me in a text message, I think you're being child. Cause I told him, I said, Hey, don't include me in your tea times anymore. If you're going to change the plans. Cause yeah. you know, I'm building my day around it. And he goes, I think you're being, and he's super young and I've been kind of mentoring him. He's like, you're childish. And also I said, and so my response was, you have every right to feel the way you feel about my response to this. And this has nothing to do with you. I love you and I care deeply about you. And if you want to call me, you can call me. I just don't want to play golf with you anymore, <laughs> you know? which is childish on my end. So just remind me. Yeah. Or just that, so, so with that, I, I know yeah. not to not to play golf with you. Or no, just, I, just don't know. Just me. don't like, know. This show is you. The, it's a weird golf role. And I get basketball that. role. I get that. Well, like, think about it. If you're, if you're going to play flag football and you're in a group of guys and you got 12 guys are going to show up. And a guy no shows you, you guys are crushing that guy. Yeah. Dude, we had to have this guy be the quarterback for both teams. So we got to have even sides yeah. and now yeah. he's taking all the glory. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I like I'm gonna end this. I wanna I wanna wrap it up with um with this. So First of all, like we ended on forgiveness, and I don't think that that is a coincidence. I think yeah. that um forgiveness is so important that but it also takes like being able to talk about it and so if you listen to this like maybe that plants something on your heart maybe there's someone that you need to talk to um to like have the hard conversation or maybe you don't like um at the same in the same breath like maybe maybe you need to talk to somebody that you love about how you're just going like i recently there is somebody that i love dearly who has said some i found out said some really really crappy things about me and i like laid in bed and like 
literally cried. Like, I was like, I thought, like, like that hurts. And, like, I told Jess, I was like, I'm going to call him out on it. I'm going to call him. (laughs) And then, like, three days later, I was like, I don't think I need to. But I talked to Jess about it. Like, I talked to someone who was not going to sit and judge this person. Like, do that. And, like, um, Steve, thank you for for being here. Thank you for sharing and parting wisdom. Um, We'll do this again. Um, One thing, too. uh, And then I'm sorry. But you (laughs) said something to me. Oh, you know the guy, the homeless guy that I thought maybe took advantage of me that was throwing your name around and just said to you, yeah, but you're just calling on to God to be obedient. Yeah. And she told you that, like you were getting stressed about it. You thought maybe he took advantage of you or whatever. But when she said that to you and you said that to me, that replays in my head all the time. Steve, stop worrying about what you're doing and how it's affecting you're to be obedient. And if you have a feeling, if you feel God is pointing you in a direction and saying, you need to do this, yeah. what the result on the other end is irrelevant. Hmm. doesn't good. matter. So, yeah. yeah. No, that on that note, thank you for listening to this week's episode. Uh, we are going to wrap it up. Uh, oh, I didn't even mention today we were drinking. I, guess I have an addiction to pumpkin spice so i had a i offered steve coffee he said he drank a red bull and i drank a iced quad espresso yeah. with oat milk and pumpkin okay, so well, let me tell you the truth of that real quick when you said what's your order from starbucks i don't know how to order coffee because i'm not a coffee drinker i did kind of want one but i was too embarrassed oh, to see. say to you i want to i i don't <laughs> even oka loca mocha choca latte thing i don't on know that, what those words an, are on an Sorry. oka loca mocha choca <laughs> latte we will see you next week uh, peace peace out Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the Over a Drink Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the Over a Drink Podcast and on Twitter at over underscore a underscore drink. Reach out and send me a message. I'd also like to encourage you to visit our website at theoveradrinkpodcast.com and sign up for our email newsletter. We're working on weaponizing testimonies here on this podcast, and that isn't exclusive to those who are on the podcast. I'd love for you to send me an email at overadrinkpodcast at gmail.com with a written version of your testimony. I'll put it together in a blog format and then we send it out to everybody on that email list. And in an instant, your testimony will become a weapon. You never know what God is teaching you in your story that may affect somebody else's story. Finally, I want to invite you to join me in supporting this project. There will be a link in the episode notes to a platform called Buy Me a Coffee that will allow you to partner financially with the Over a Drink podcast on a monthly or one-time basis to help move the mission forward of reconfiguring societal norms of what a man should be. Keep an eye out for our next episode. Peace. Peace.